No matter how late Congress is in enacting the federal budget each year, one thing never changes. The fiscal year ends September 30th. That means the federal fourth quarter and the use-it-or-lose-it spending boost are on. For annual advice on how to deal, federal sales and marketing consultant Larry Allen. And we should return to the fact that, yes, in the fourth quarter, contractors have some things to do to maximize making their numbers. Let's review those again. Well, Tom, I think that what you do as a contractor during the fourth quarter kind of depends on just where in the fourth quarter we are. Right now, there are certain things that I think companies need to focus on. Some of those may carry through, but there are going to be some that drop off the closer we get to year end. But right now, I'm telling contractors that they really ought to look at three things. The first thing is coordinating their marketing message with their sales team activities. Now, that may seem obvious, but how many times have we driven down the road and listened to what sounds like ads from three years ago from a contractor that they dragged out again to rotate around at year end, that doesn't really match what they're selling today. In all likelihood, federal priorities have shifted, federal budgets have shifted. So your marketing message needs to be teamed up with what your salespeople are saying so that when you're sitting in front of a federal customer, federal prospect, they're hearing the same message from you and that that message matches with what their priorities and needs are. That's the number one thing that I think at the beginning of the fourth quarter, you really ought to make sure that you're doing. Two other things, more on the contracting side, government has kind of telegraphed that they're going to be changing some of their acquisition methods during the fourth quarter, Tom. Now, I'm not suggesting that indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contracting, things like multiple award schedule or NASA soup or other GWAC sales are going to go down. Those sales are going to continue to be really important through the end of the fiscal year, just as they are every fourth quarter. What I am starting to see, though, is contractors saying, hey, that acquisition that we were following in our pipeline, it was scheduled to be GSA Alliant buy. Now the agency is telling us they're pulling it off the streets and they're going to repackage it as a small business set aside. That's going to be to match administration goals to try to increase the number of dollars that go to small minority businesses. In other words, the channel you thought would be your fulfillment is switching on you, and you better line up with that. That's exactly right, Tom. And so if you, instead of having that alliant contract, which is always going to be important, you also want to make sure that you've got small disadvantaged business partners or veteran-owned partners or whatever it is, your customer is telling you, look, this was going to be the acquisition method. This is going to be the new acquisition method. You want to be flexible enough and have the capability so that you can still participate in that piece of business you've been tracking. The third priority is to keep an eye on the RFPs and RFQs once they are issued. There are going to be some new terms and conditions in there, Tom, things that maybe match up with presidential executive orders. Uh, It's possible that not right now, but possible later on this fourth quarter, we could see some executive orders on uh, Made in America have some proposed or interim rules on climate change, some interim rules on small business use again. So you really want to understand as a contractor what those new requirements are. We had thought by this time last year, we would have Uh, CMMC rules in, and there may be some CMMC rules in RFPs, even though 
the CMMC process has gotten off to a very, very slow start. So whatever it is, you want to make sure that you know what your company is signing up to comply with, that it can comply, sure. and if it can't comply, then a business discussion needs to be had. We are speaking with Larry Allen, president of Allen Federal Business Partners, and you mentioned some rules in the making deriving from presidential orders. This climate one is interesting because it may not be that the requirement you have to fulfill is related to what it is you're selling, but it's more your behavior as a company. Well, that's right. And in May, President Biden issued an executive order on climate change And the acquisition community is kind of expecting either a proposed rule or maybe even an interim rule to come out uh, this summer, Tom, right in the middle of fourth quarter that would potentially require contractors to do two things. One, it would require them to publicly disclose greenhouse gas emissions, which means that you will be having to track greenhouse gas emissions if you're going to be able to disclose them. And second, that you track and publish the social cost of greenhouse gas emissions, and those can be considered in procurement decisions. I'm not sure what the definition of social cost is, Tom, or how a company is supposed to uh, consistently track emissions unless there's an existing industry standard. But we could see this coming into procurements this summer, And thereafter, uh, while it's primarily focused on product contractors, there's no exemption right now for anybody selling services. So if you're a services company, solutions company, this requirement would still apply to you. And it suggests that you better be out tracking greenhouse gas emissions for your buildings, for your transportation-related activities, whatever else it is that it takes for you to deliver that service or solution to a customer. Sure, you've got to count your employees on the contract. They breathe, and therefore they're (laughs) producing CO2. And I guess if you're a reseller, you would be in that situation, perhaps what it is you are reselling. You could have to trace it back through your supply chain, and then there's delivery trucks that have tailpipes. I mean, when you think about it, only the imagination limits how far this thing could spider out. But it's all a gigantic compliance effort and reporting effort. And probably there's a template somewhere for it. Each employee that breathes equals 12 social units or something. I don't know. <laughs> but that's the kind of thing they're going to be getting into. Oh, there, there, there's no question. There, there's going to be a great deal of specificity here. Uh, climate change and indeed the administration uses the term climate crisis more frequently, Tom. Uh, That gives you an indication straight away of the degree of importance they tie to this issue. Uh, It's going to drive up the costs throughout the acquisition system. It's something that both buyer and seller need to be prepared for and aware of. Uh, And it could very well start coming soon to a procurement near you before the end of this fiscal year. And as we near the end of the end, and we're not there yet, we're only in early July, but let's say as you get towards late August and September, you probably need not only a variety of channels you might need to dance to, but I mean, on the government side and on the federal, on the contractor side, you have to find available contracting officers that can handle the workload. Well, that's another challenge. And uh, certainly we see this uh, every year, we see certain contracting shops closing early. That's enough. We, we can't take any more acquisitions in. Uh, thank you very much. So if you want to get that acquisition done, again, whether you're a 
operational agency or a government contractor. You have to go shopping now for another acquisition office. A lot of times, Tom, that takes people to the assisted acquisition offices of either GSA or the Department of Interior. And yet those groups have their own rules about cutoff times too. So right now would be a very good time to talk with anybody that you know in assisted acquisition to see if they're still taking new projects even now at the beginning of the quarter. Uh, some will, some may not, but if you have an important project, you wanna make sure it gets acquired this fiscal year for lots of reasons. Uh, assisted acquisitions may be an important way to go. That's a way to augment an agency's internal acquisition workforce. And uh, every year that's required more. And I suspect it will be required just as more this year. This is gonna be a traditionally hot fourth quarter, full appropriations, a lot of money, particularly in the Department of Defense, and will set us up well, I think, for next year to go through this, but maybe with a different accent on civilian agencies. But the bottom line is a lot of activity to be done between now and September 30th. Take those vacations and family reunions in October. And for now, focus uh, on what the, world, the work is that you've got to do. Larry Allen is president of Allen Federal Business Partners. As always, thanks so much. Tom, thank you, and I wish your listeners happy selling. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a senior advisor and deputy chief of staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, you think about a pandemic, for example, that has uh, placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And, and the idea that we don't have the human interaction, uh, which I think is very important when you think about the empathy that is a, a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented a terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, 
to be uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions uh, on those on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina, uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a liberal school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream, which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have uh, my willingness to to fight for change, and that was that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there've been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, the 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 massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. A very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life, and and it conjured up again these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there've been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the US Cha- Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community uh, inspired by that tragedy and now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think, with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life? And what quality did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values. But the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream, which we often define and think of his big, I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that, 
you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the, the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges is seeing a forest despite the trees. It's in an opportunity despite the barriers. And that, that attribute, I think, is one that, that I embody. I mean, I, I, I'm very optimistic uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service, uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills? And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of of being a leader, uh, and 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 I, I I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the. Secretary of Commerce, and I, I, my office was on the floor, the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, uh, and, and, and so I think that's a lesson for me, if there was some advice and counsel I could give, is to continue to do your work. But, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.